those of you who are online, I want to say a big welcome to you. I want you to know that God is reaching you right where you are. I believe the power of God is not limited, and so continue to receive all that God is doing with us, uh, even right where you are in Jesus' name. There are many things we need to get through in the course of the service today, so I'd like to keep this as quick as I can. And um, I pray that you pray for me, that God will help me to do just that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We want to appreciate God for how he's been helping us in the course of our uh, messages that there is, um, we, we, we have been on the series of unraveling the mystery of godliness. Unraveling the mystery of godliness. And um, we have had so many topics. This is the seventh session. This is the seventh session. And uh, as a matter of fact, you can see how God has been helping us. We started the very first uh, sort of six sessions, the very first five sessions, sorry, looking from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where the Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached on among Gentiles and believed on in the world, and he was received up into glory. And that gave us the kind of first five themes that we saw there uh, in the course of those messages. Please, you can go to our YouTube page. It is LifeGate Outreach TV, and um, you can also find us on all forms of podcasts uh, on Google or iOS platforms, or Android, rather, or, or iOS platforms, and I know you will be blessed. Our administrator of the podcast sent us a statistic that we have had over 3,000 downloads of our messages. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. And we started only a few years ago, and so we are truly thankful to God. And this, uh, the, I'll try and bring the chat one of these days. We have people from North America, uh, across Europe, lots of people from Africa, and um, in this country as well, nationally. So we thank God for what he's doing, that the world is going to places we could not have physically reached. So we bless his name. But today's session is... Uh, titled Promotion by Righteousness. Since last week, we have been looking at some themes of what are the uh, inheritance of the righteous ones. And uh, we started with boldness last week in among those four that we're looking at. We'll be looking at promotion today, and tomorrow we'll be looking at uh, next week, rather, and uh, the last Sunday of June, we'll be looking at stability, divine health and stability. But today, we are looking at promotion by righteousness. I'd like us to understand the concept of promotion because it is godly, it is of God. Divine promotion is God's way of repositioning the righteous for greater impact. Every time you see God wanting to do a thing through a person, he promotes them. He takes them to a higher level that gives them an opportunity to do that thing. Because you see, if you are not given power or lifted above a people in a way, not lifted in the sense of differential of humans because all, all, all men are the same but lifted in terms of capacity giftings and ability to administer it will be impossible when Moses was to lead people God had to come to him as a person and call him and give him that promotion to go ahead and do it and it's the same thing when every one of us must understand that promotion is not just what we think ends us more bread and butter or more money to live life and live large Whilst, yes, we can do those things, but that is not the main purpose of God promoting us in any way. 
One of our anchor scriptures this week is Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. The Bible says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You can see the converse. Righteousness takes up, say righteousness lifts up, and sin pulls down. Very simple scripture. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, somebody will say, but Pastor Dave, I know so many countries and places where righteousness should be the order of the day because there are so many church-going people. Now, that is exactly what it is. It didn't say church-going people exalts a nation. <laughs> it didn't say religion exalts a nation. So we need to understand, righteousness is what exalts a person or a nation. And when the Bible talks about a nation, it can be a person nation or a people nation. The Bible says you are a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. 1 Peter 2.9. So it can refer to you as a person nation or a people nation. In fact, at times it calls you a city, that you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. So when, righteous, when it says righteousness exalts a nation, it's not just talking about the people nation. Is also talking about the person nation. But it is the people nation that make up the person, uh, the, the person nation that make up the people nation. So we must understand that the desire of God is for righteousness to exalt the people of God. God is the author of true promotions and demotions. We find this in Psalm 75 verse 6. The Bible says, For the exaltation, exaltation comes neither from the north, nor from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Verse 7 says, but God is the judge. He puts one down and exalts another. He puts one down and exalts another. So we're talking about God's way of repositioning the righteous for greater impact. So God's desire is that the ones that are, the ones that are to serve him are to be exalted so that they can have impact, they can have the potential to do the things that he has called them to do. So every believer, the, the, the repositioning we're talking about can either be spiritual, somebody say spiritual, or physical, or both. Every believer has been spiritually repositioned to have power over the enemy, for example. This is why the work of the church is to keep teaching believers and encouraging believers to know their power over the enemy. Much more than just praying for them to overcome the enemy. That is good when we intercede for one another. But the main work of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that they can know their rightful places over the enemy. Luke 10, 19. The Bible says, Behold, I give to you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, some of you may wonder why Jesus used serpents and scorpions. If you've never seen a serpent or a scorpion before, or if you've never been bitten, I've been bitten by a scorpion twice. Thank God, not by a serpent. But my, my elder brother, before he died, he was bitten by all manner of things. <laughs> that man faced so many things in his life. Praise the Lord. And so we must understand this. If you get a, a scorpion sting, it hurts. That's why I say nothing will hurt you. Some, somebody is shaking their head here. You must have had it. If you get the scorpion sting, you know when they want to give you vaccination and they say light, what they call it, mosquito bite or that thing? Sharp, sharp scratch. I like that word. Sharp scratch. A scorpion sting is not sharp scratch. <laughs> Even though it's a very tiny thing that it has, it hits you like a hammer. 
You wonder how a tiny scripture like a tiny creature like that can give so much impact in terms of pain. It hits you straight to the head when it stings once. So when Jesus was talking about the, the, the serpents and scorpions, he was trying to use it figuratively, that things that can hurt you badly, things that can make it difficult for you to do the work of evangelism, I have given you authority over them. And so we must all understand this. The same thing with serpents. I've had the privilege of killing many, many poisonous snakes when I lived in different parts of, of Nigeria. Northern Nigeria, you find the very deadly uh, brown snakes that, that's, that they call them the sand vipers. They are terrible. You won't see them. They will just hide and blend with the sand. When you are approaching, they come out. And before you know it, they've got your leg. <laughs> terrible animals. And so there are, there, there are very, these two phrases, these two words are used to figuratively tell us things that can be hidden, things that can be very dangerous, things that have a potential to even take our lives. But the Bible says he has given us authority over them, which means there is no power of the enemy. He said, and over all the power of the enemy. So you have been promoted. I say you have been promoted over all the power of the enemy. And the Bible says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. When God was to send Moses back to Egypt to go and um, uh, deliver his people from Pharaoh, in Exodus chapter 7 verse 1, he said to Moses, See, I have made you as what? God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. That was a consolation to him when he was complaining about his tamarind lips. When, when Moses got there and he got the real revelation, you will notice he never asked Aaron to say one thing to Pharaoh. Not once. You understand where I'm coming from? God just used that to comfort him that somebody will go with you since you are so concerned about this, your stammering lips. But when he caught the revelation, by the time he got in front of Pharaoh, he was going, Pharaoh, just says the Lord, let my people go. He never said to Aaron, please help me tell you. No, not once. <laughs> not once. <laughs> In fact, Aaron was so jobless that he was molding calves and those kind of <laughs> When Moses was doing the real work, Aaron was, was throwing things into the fire and calf was coming out, <laughs> doing magic. Let me not digress. Okay. The, th the key thing here is that God said, I have made you, what? As God. Look at those words, as God. And not G-O-D, small God, which the Bible says we are. But I have made you as what? Myself to Pharaoh. That is promotion to a realm. Now, God does not share his glory with anyone. He himself said so. He said, my glory I will share with no man. But the same God said to a man like you and I, that I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Because for you to do what you are going to do, you must operate from the realm I'm operating from. No man can stand in front of Pharaoh and live. Who are you? Who are you? This was the man with the mightiest army on the face of the earth. This was the man with the biggest economy on the earth. There was no way a mortal man could stand in front of Pharaoh and challenge him and live. It was a matter of seconds the person would be dead. So he said, for you to go and rescue these people, you will need to operate as God. Hallelujah. And this is what I want you to know. When Jesus came and said, I have given you authority, he is saying to you, the same authority, say, all authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now he says, I have given you that authority. So I want us to understand our spiritual promotion first. Because you see, as believers, 
If we don't understand our spiritual promotion and why we should not be afraid of the enemy and why should we should continue to exercise our authority, we will change ourselves. So every one of us must understand. And this, our spiritual authority came to us by faith at new birth. John chapter 1, verse 11. He said, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And how did it happen? Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Say, I am born of God. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. I want every member of this church to be a very strong believer. I want every member of this church to know their rights in the word of God. I want us to be a people who are always consistently conscientious of who we are in God. He said, you are not born of blood. You are not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, but you were, or the will of man, but of God. God himself, when you received his son as Lord and Savior, God himself gave birth to you, and you are now called a child of God. It is a powerful thing and a powerful status that many of us have downplayed unconsciously over time. So, I wanted to establish that, we will talk a lot about physical promotion today, but I wanted to establish that, that the greatest promotion in life is the promotion that God has given to us in giving us authority as born-again Christians. This is why everything starts from there. So in terms of physical promotion, this relates to our vocational repositioning so that we can have greater influence in life. As we go through life, the Bible says the path of a just man is as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. So you have light when you get born again, but the truth is that that light should shine brighter. That is what is called promotion. We talked about shining lights just a few weeks ago. But the more God promotes you in life and takes you through the cadre of rising in the social strata of life, the more influence you should have. Sadly, people use that influence so negatively when it should be used positively to help advance the kingdom. And this is very important for us. When God called a, another man, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. But it didn't end there. Many Pentecostal believers of today just want to claim the blessing and the great name. He said, it is written, you will bless me and make my name great. It is true, but read it to the end. He said, and you shall do what? Be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. When God lifts you up, he is expecting you to lift others also. Every lifting God brings your way is to give you more capacity to be able to lift others. This is all it's all about. So that we can settle this and understand why we don't just desire promotion or pray for promotion or press into promotion for the sake of it. But we desire promotion and trust God for promotion so that we can fulfill scripture. We can be a blessing to others. 
Remember where we read in the Bible reading? Those of you that were, uh, that were not here or were online and didn't pick that up. We read Daniel chapter 2. Many verses from Daniel chapter 2, but basically from verse 1 to verse 48. If you read it in whole, you get the whole picture. We skipped some things just because of time. But the reality is that if you read Daniel chapter 2, verse 48 and verse 49, he was promoted in verse 48, and in verse 49, he requested that his brethren be promoted as well. The moment he got the ear of the king, the moment he got the ear of the king and promotion came his way, the next thing Daniel went for was promotion of his brethren. So that we understand that this idea of promotion by righteousness is not just for something for us to consume on ourselves or just to become bigger or just to have more money or have more influence. Influence to do what? It is for us to be able to reach out and be of a bigger impact in the kingdom of God. And so I want you to understand this. And I learned this, I'm learning this in my own life, that this is a very important aspect of life and ministry. The more influence a minister has, the more he's able to help people. I can only help you to the extent to which I have capacity. That is the reality. If I have more capacity, I can do more. You get what I'm saying? Every minister, every leader, every person, every husband, every father, every mother, everyone who has one responsibility or, or another for another person will be able to do more when they have more capacity. And this is why promotion should not be treated with kids' glove. It should not be treated lightly. It should be something we desire, not making it a focus, but understanding that it is God's desire for us. Just like when he called Abraham, that he will bless him to be a blessing. So I want to quickly go through some qualifications that will help us to enjoy physical promotion in the light of scriptures. It is important that we understand that God is the one who lifts. We have established that. Righteousness exalts. We have established that. But there are certain things that even God cannot do if we do not have them in place in our lives. And we want to touch a few of them today. The first thing is humility. Humility. Somebody say with me, humility. First Peter chapter 5, I want to read a couple of verses there from verse 5 and verse 6. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. All of you, all of you, all of you, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We also find that in James chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 6 of this, 1 Peter 5. He said, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's a sequence. You humble yourself, he exalts you. Don't pray for exaltation or trust him to come in to exalt if humility is absent. That's why I say you humble yourself. And nobody prays that God should humble them. In fact, if that is a very dangerous prayer, <laughs> pray God, humble me. <laughs> God, is it really? <laughs> I think out of mercy, who answer that prayer because he will not like it. But he say humble yourselves. Humility is one of those things that you have to do. You have to intentionally walk in on a consistent basis, if you want to be somebody who enjoys divine promotion. Now, go back to verse 5. What I would like to emphasize here is that 
there is a big emphasis here on younger people. And I would like to tell our generation of younger people that this has not changed. Despite our modernization and our social transformations across the land, and with all the sophistication of our world today, young people must respect those that are elders to them. Young people must learn how to humble themselves. You see, because we are in so much of an information overload age, there is a tendency for people to think that because they know certain things, they can ignore the wisdom of elders. It is the most foolish thing to do. Now, I know that some elders have nothing to show. I know that. Some elders are bad examples. And I pray that we don't have such in our communities. However, where there are good, godly elders, where there are people who have been tested and God is helping to show an example to the younger, we need to understand. We have a younger generation that is becoming so rash and brute that at times I find it that I, we need to pray very seriously for our world, otherwise we are running a big risk. When people become so brute and so self-centered, self, so self-focused and so self-absorbed, what happens is that when they get to position of authority, they will be heartless. When they become those who are in charge of the reins of governance and power, they will be heartless. And so we must continue to put these words out that the scriptures encourages younger people to submit themselves to elders. They should be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. If you want to grow well and you want things to go well with you, follow this scriptural injunction. And I pray that God will continue to give every one of us, whether young or elder, every one of us, God will continue to give us wisdom to walk in the light of this truth. In the name of Jesus. The reality is that elders have seen things that only experience can bring. When I talk to younger professionals and younger people who are kind of younger in ministry, I say younger by age or by just coming in to ministry, I, I say things from the things I've gone through, not just the, the things that we both know from Scripture. Because they know the Bible, they know the, they know the if, it's, if it's my profession, they know, they know the rules, they know everything about it. But I am able to tell them things that only time can teach. Only experience can teach. You can't take it away. When somebody has gone through something for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, you can't tell him that he, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's impossible. It is just impossible. So we must learn the place of where younger people should understand to be humble. Now, I've left, I want to leave younger people and bring this to now the need to be humble as, as a whole. Whether you are young and you are looking at elders or in where you relate, humility is a basic aspect of life that will always allow you to draw grace. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. Go, go, go to the, yeah, that's it. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. So when humility is displayed, it is like a tap that opens grace. It's like a tap that makes grace available. Never let yourself, I've said this many times, as you go up in life, pride goes with you. You have to deal with pride every time. Nobody ever overcomes pride and overcomes pride permanently. When you deal with it now, get ready. It's going to, it comes out with a stronger force when you embrace the next thing. He knows how to get you to, to embrace him. 
He knows how, where to touch you the most. He knows those aspects of your life that are still access to the enemy that he can continue to use. You have to continue to ward off the power of the enemy so that the spiritual authority God has given you will continue to help you to remain humble. I pray God helps us to remain humble in Jesus' name. Jesus' promotion came about as a result of his humility. We know this. He undertook a physical task of being subjected to the crucifixion. Look at what Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 2, verse 7. He was talking about letting this mind be in you, and, uh, uh, which was also in, uh, in Christ Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him. The Bible says, but made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8 now, verse 8. He said, and being found in appearance as a man, he did what? Humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. Please say to your neighbor for me, humble yourself. yourself. Say, humble yourself. yourself. If Jesus had to humble himself, every one of us must understand we have to humble ourselves. He humbled himself and now went through something that was very ridiculous, the death of the cross. And then, verse, verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him. Remember what he said? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, that he may exalt you in due time. Jesus humbled himself, went to the death of the cross, and then God also highly exalted him and gave him the name, which is above every other name. Every one of us must walk in humility. And don't say, my humble self. Let people tell you, that you are humble. Every time you have told you, every time you say my humble self, that is the very first beginning of pride. That is where your pride started from. The moment you say, and my humble self, that is very, very step number one of pride. <laughs> Let people say, oh, thank God for this man. He's so humble. It's a better testimony. So you walk on it. You have to walk on, on humility. Everybody must understand that we come to a place whereby God helps us to walk in humility as we depend on him. May God continue to help us in this way. In the name of Jesus. This is one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ today. A lot of pride. Pride in ministers, pride in members, pride in leaders, pride in pastors, pride in pastors' wives, pride everywhere. Just proud, proud, proud. And we are wondering why grace is lacking in many instances. There is a form of it, but the real thing is lacking because pride, God cannot inhabit a vessel of pride. In fact, he resists pride. That's what the Bible says. So every one of us has a task to keep ensuring this, whatever our age, whatever our work with God. Number two, humility is not all we need. Number two thing is we need to be diligent. We need diligence. This is skillfulness an effective work ethic. I've seen too many believers who pray, who pray a lot and trust God for, for increase, for promotion. And uh, I would say could be seen as humble people in the sense that you don't really see them displaying elements of pride and things technically. But you see the aspect of skillfulness and effective work ethic is very lacking. And somehow we expect that God, because we know that God can bypass protocol in quote, we expect that God will just supernaturally do something and by, 
pass the protocols that are essential for human existence just because of us, God doesn't do that. He wouldn't do that. That will undermine his integrity. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Proverbs 22, 29. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before mean men. Have you seen a man who knows his work? Have you seen a man who is very good at what he does? Whether he's a farmer, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, he's a teacher, whoever he is, a janitor, he's a cleaner, he's a mechanic, whatever he does. And it is about being skillful in that work. This is Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings and not before unknown men. So every one of us must see this as very important that we need to be excelling in our work. Whatever work God has given to you, it is your responsibility and my responsibility to excel in it. That is what leads to the standing before kings and not before unknown men. It is important that believers teach more on the topic of diligence and work more to trust God to help them to be diligent than to just pray for the superfluous to happen. To just pray for those kind of miraculous promotions that disregards these kind of things. It is foolishness. Outer foolishness. Even the people of the world understand that if you are skillful at what you do, you open yourself up to earthly rewards. Believers must not cut themselves short in being skillful and being effective in their work ethic. We should be conscious of time. We should manage time very well. We should be people who are disciplined with tasks. We must deliver on time. We must learn to understand that the customer space is a space that respects and values time and quality of service, whatever that customer space is for you. You cannot just pray it away and be sloppy at what you do. Every one of us must understand that we have a personal responsibility to excel in our skill and in our work ethic. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16. It says, a man's gift will make room for him and it will bring him before great men. A man's gift. God has given you gifts. It is left for you to trade with those gifts. It is left for you to use those gifts. Everybody commends a pilot that, that flies a plane and lands it down successfully, especially when they've gone through turbulence in the air and uh, you know, everybody knows that it was a very rough and bumpy ride. And when somehow the pilots and his team manage to just sort out everything, when the plane touches the ground, people applaud them. They applaud them because they have seen skill. But I know much more than that. It's because I was inside and God has helped us. <laughs> and God kept us from falling to the ground. <laughs> but to be quite frank, a lot of that is skill. You remember Captain Sully, the man that landed his plane on the, on the Potomac River in New York. That is skill. Wheels not coming out, no place to land, sees the patch of river right in the center of town. Hits the water and lands safely. That is skill. Of course, we know God helped them, but then that is skill. The whole world, it happened, I don't know, I can't remember the year now, 2005, something like that. The whole world is still talking about it today. One of the greatest landings that saved no one incident, not even a bump on the head. So people recognize skill. People value skill and the deployment of gift. You have the gift, you have to work on it, nurture it, use it. 
Don't say you are waiting to be promoted, then you will show them what you are made up of. Show them what you are made up of. Hallelujah. <laughs> that is the way it works. You see, I won't do it. I'm just waiting for them to give me the next. Then I will show them who I am. Hey, show it now. Hallelujah. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 16. This was the story of the, uh, the young man called David and Saul. Saul was troubled after God. The spirit of the Lord left him and an evil spirit from the Lord, the Bible says, came and was tormenting him. Saul was needing some comfort. And he was looking for a man that can play music to help him. Look at 1 Samuel 16 verse 17. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of his servants answered and said, look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is what? Skillful in playing. He's a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. Just one man was seen. This was not David reeling out his own CV before Saul. This was somebody who was accessible to the person that mattered, but had seen a man of skill in action in the bush, just being skillful. David was not calling a party to come and see how he could play instruments and how he could fight wars. He was just doing his thing. When he was fighting the lion and, and defending the sheep and, and, and making sure that the bear did not consume them, people were watching. And the day it mattered for his promotion to come to go to the king's palace, it was announced by somebody who had seen. That man said, I have seen a son of Jesse. What are people seeing about you today in your workplace? What are people seeing about you today beyond your workplace? Because you see, your workplace does not, and your business circle does not contain all that God wants to do for you. I want you to understand. It is even much easier today in our global world where we can communicate across cyberspace and, and be here today and be having meetings in Australia, in Canada, in Nigeria, in South Africa at the same time. It's much easier now for people to notice your skill. But what are people seeing? Don't think that because you are in a job that is not helping you to demonstrate what you can demonstrate today. You have to bury any skill. There are other skills that may not be relevant to that job, but you could put out into the market that people will see. David was to be a sheep rearer. Ba, ba, ba. And then he puts out his rod, guiding them. But he took a harp and was playing. He took the flute and was blowing. And when he saw things that were threatening his sheep, he fought them. And people were observing. Don't restrict yourself to that nine to five. Don't restrict yourself and be best at it or that shift work you do. Be best at it. Give it your best every time. But remember that there are gifts inside you that God wants you to deploy for your promotion. When people pray about their promotion, all they remember is their boss who signs off those appraisals at the end of the year. That man may either have no capacity to promote you anymore or may not want to promote you. <laughs> he may not want to promote you. So you don't confine your life to that. Whilst you are honoring, respectful, and value the time of the organization, you must realize that you need to think deep. What is my Davidic skill, if I can call them that? What are those things that are not so relevant to what I am doing now? But yes, God has put in me the ability to fight lions. God has put in me the ability to play instruments skillfully. The Bible says he played it skillfully. And that's what got him to the, to the throne. Look at that. In verse 19. Therefore Saul sent the messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, David, 
who is with the sheep. This is divine promotion facilitated by David's skillfulness. Let us be people who work hard at developing our skillfulness. One of my main clients told me many years ago, I didn't know, I didn't have any knowledge of it. He told me in the year 2006, he said, David, I like working with you. I said, why? He said, you are very quick and you deliver to time, like you've promised. And I never knew it was, he was observing it. So I decided that that would be my trade secret. God used somebody to tell me what should be my trade secret. Deliver quick, good quality, and to time, as you have promised. So if I know that it will take two months, I don't tell the client it will take me one month. You know those kind of tailors? Have you ever had a tailor like that that told you next week? <laughs> those tailors that say this time next week, and they will start cutting the thing when you are there. <laughs> but the following month, you come back, it's not ready. Where they've hung it on the wall... <laughs> God help all those people. Hallelujah. You don't do that. So you, 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 you use your trade secrets. You look at what the feedback is. You are a nurse. You are uh, somebody who works in, in a sector of, of development. Maybe you train people. Maybe you're in education. Or you are in some other sector of a service industry. Or you are in hospitality. Look at those things that people are saying about you. Not, not what somebody is saying negatively, particularly. You are too concerned about people talking negatively. Pick up those little, little things that people say that they notice is good about your work. Pull on it. Develop it. Train, trade with it. Because those are things God has put inside you that people or other people are noticing and they have a potential to take you higher. Psalm, 70, Psalm 78, verse 70. The Bible says he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfold. From following the eaves that had the young, he brought him. To shepherd Jacob, his people. He took him from the sheepfolds and he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, to Israel, his inheritance. So, verse 72, let's read verse 72. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skillfulness of his heart. Say, Lord, put integrity in my heart and put skillfulness in my hands. You need the two. Integrity and skill. Integrity and skill. When you have skill, integrity of your heart makes you deliver that skill in such a way that you are not seeking to cheat people, you are not seeking to oppress people, you just want to do the job well. The Bible says he shepherded his people. And I want us to know many times when God is preparing us for different stages of life, he takes us through seasons. David was anointed to become king. But we know that before he became king, and this taking from the shepherd, being a shepherd of God's people, go back to verse 71, from following the eaves and the young, and brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. We know the many things he went through. He had to fight many things. He had to, he had to wrestle his life away from Saul. The same Saul who promoted him to the palace became somebody who wanted to kill him in the palace. So he had to run out of the palace and then he was chased all over the place. We know that story very well. For 13 years, this young man was hounded all over the place. And then suddenly one day when he was just confused, didn't know what to do, 400 people suddenly showed up. 
And they say, be our captain. And these are not good people. They were very wicked people, to oppressed people, people who were disgruntled <laughs> to complicate his problem. And they say, you have to be our captain. I wonder what they saw. I think they saw that all of them, among all of them, all the problems put together that they had, there was nothing compared to, the, to David. They said, this one must be our captain. <laughs> For this one to still be alive and be okay. But the, the reality is that he did not come to it. So I want you to know that there are phases of life that you go through that you may think that it's the end of it. And then you stop using your skill. You stop using your giftings. That is not God's will for you. God wants you to be a person who is deploying at every time. God can promote any skillful person regardless of their social standing or connections. I know we have a world today that is always talking about social mobility and social networking and, and networking effectively. Now, I'm not against those things. I network where I can. I believe that we should, we should do everything we can to bypass social mobility, give our children better chances than us if we can. But don't kill yourself because you want to, you want to belong to a class. Don't, if God gives you capacity to do so, do it effectively. But if God did not give you such capacity, make the best, make the most of what God gave to you. I want you to know that God will take you and anyone to anywhere he wants to take them, regardless of their social standing. Whilst there are challenges, like I said, Christians must remember that God is able to promote against all odds. So I believe network with people, make sure you are speaking to the right people, make sure you are doing the right things, that's fine. But never put your trust in those processes because ultimately you have a God who is supremely in charge of your divine promotion. And he will promote you in Jesus' name. In Psalm 113, verse 7, the Bible says, He raises the poor out of dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He raises, God raises the poor out of the dust, the very ground level. God raises them out and he lifts the needy out of the ash heap. And verse 8 says, So that he may seat them with princes, with the prince of his people. Now, this is very important for us to understand. Some of you will look at me and say, Brother Dave, I wish you know where I work. I wish you know what I've been through. I wish you know, and wish you know, and wish you know. And you know something I may not know, but the reality of something I know is that no human being can stop your progress. I say no human being can stop your progress. And the Bible says Joseph's brothers thought that they were doing something bad to him. Joseph later told them, he said, you thought you meant it for evil, but my God turned it around for good. All things, everybody say with me, all things work together for my good and moving forward. Do it again. All things work together for my good and moving forward. There are people who today think that they are denying you of promotions or denying you of opportunities and they think somehow that it is because it seems it's within their power to do so and they think that they are winning. Just like Joseph's brothers thought that putting in, in the pit meant the end of that dream to ever come to pass. Or Saul thinking that by hunting David down all over the wilderness for all those 13 years would mean that David would never become king. I want you to know that all things truly work together for good. God used sheep, bear, lion, Goliath, all those things to train David. And then the 400 people was the final straw that made David truly have to become a rubber-stamped warrior indeed because God was preparing him to lead the greatest nation 
on earth. Till today, the star that you see on the flag of Israel is called the Star of David. Do you know that? Till today, they still talk about King David. You don't mess about King David in Israel. You don't talk about David anyhow. You don't. A man that God is going to prepare to live a legacy will be taken through storms. He will be stretched. He will be taken through seeming wilderness. Moses was going to lead two and a half million people out of slavery. God had to take him out of that environment, having raised him there for 40 years. He had to take him for another 40 years to a school that only he was the one talking to him. Only he was the one showing him how to see the behavior of sheep and goat and know the differences. Some of you don't know the difference. One of my sons asked me the difference between sheep and goat. I say, when you see the two of them, you will know. <laughs> they are very clear. <laughs> you can't miss them. Sheep will stay like this, waiting for you to say move. And goat, you have to be pursuing it all over the place to know why it's not where you are. And then when you catch the goat, you'll be begging the sheep, come, come, come. <laughs> They are very interesting animals. So God used all those things to train Moses to know that you are going to deal with two and a half million people. You are going to take them through places that people have not passed before and you are going to depend on me absolutely. You need to be well trained and you need to be meek. So I want to say to you today, whatever your stage of life is, please understand God is still very much in charge. God has not forgotten you. I say God has not forgotten you. As a little boy, very young boy, just graduating, finishing graduation uh, many years ago, back in my home country, Nigeria, I just finished, I was about to finish my, uh, my, my master's degree, uh, and I was doing, finishing the coursework element of it. This was 1991, April. I was sat next to somebody who was a classmate of mine in the class, but he was a head of department of civil engineering at another institution, a polytechnic. And one day we were in a lecture, and he asked me, he said, David, don't you want to lecture? in our school. I said, I do, but you know, we're all in this program. How can I go there and lecture? And he said to me, he said, no. He said, I know you are here. After all, we're cosmates. He said, I'll give you one day a week. All you need to do. Somebody say favor. He said, I'll give you one day a week. All you need to do is you leave here in the morning. You go deliver your lectures on the day. You don't have lectures on campus here. And then at the end in the evening, you come back. And I will explain to all the staff that you're going to keep it like this till you get through to your dissertation. And to cut the long story short, I got that job. And uh, I became a lecturer, and uh, whilst I was still doing my master's and so on and so forth, in between all that process, I met my wife on that campus. And the testimony I want to share with you was this. A year later, 1992, we were just finishing the master's program. A similar thing happened, and it was almost going to look like it would be the same way. One of our classmates, again, on that program said his lecturer in another university in Kano, in northern Nigeria as well, was looking for lecturers and he asked him to bring a lot of his mates. And he came and spoke to about four of us that we should all apply, that he knows that we will get the jobs. Me in structures, another one in water, another one in transportation. He had mapped it out very well and he knew that we would get the job. So we all went for the interview. It was one of the best interviews I'd ever taken in my life, especially at that point. So cordial, everyone was kind of jovial. It went so well answered all the questions very well. I was so confident that I'd get the job. The head of the department came and met me, said, David, congratulations. Uh, you'll be hearing from us definitely. And uh, the way you speak, I see you are very, very active and good. I think we can do a lot of things. I, I like your idea about research and consultancy. And he was so positive. I was only 22 years old. He was so positive, 23 at that point. He was so positive. 
So I left the place. Five weeks later, four weeks later, the first one got his letter. The second one got his letter. The third one got his letter. Mine was going to come, was going to come, was going to come. Then he never came. And so I went to the head of the department. I said, what's happening? My letter has not been released. And my colleagues have got their letters. He said, David, I really don't know what this is. He said, I've never seen a thing like this. I said, what is it? Just tell me. He said, the dean doesn't want you. I said, the dean? He wasn't on the panel, if I remember. I said, was it not somebody else I was chairing that day? Was that the dean? He said, no. He said, the dean was not there. He said, somehow, he saw your name, and he said, he doesn't want this person. Yes, that happened to me. <laughs> he said, he doesn't want this person. I said, does he know my father? Because my father was in another institution. He said, I don't think so. He said, I said, but what? Just like that? I said, does he have the right to do that? He said, sadly, David, he, he does, because he has a final say on who comes on staff in the faculty. Now, to cut the long story short, he advised that my father and I, my father was also a dean of the faculty in another institution uh, in the place. He said, maybe if my dad and I go to meet him, that maybe something can happen. So we went there. My dad and I felt maybe some mix-up. Let's go there and see him. We got into his office, and we explained why we came. And he said, yes, I'm aware of the case. Is it David Oloke? He said, yes. He said, yes, I don't want him to come. I was told, my father was told. He said, I don't want him to come. My father and I looked at each other in amazement because <laughs> it was like a dream. You mean one person can take such a huge rash decision and nobody can challenge? And my father said, you know, I'm happy you said it like this, that it has to do with you and that the boy did very well. But that, you see, this young man is just starting out his career. You can do things. I'm a dean as well, and I know that in, in, in our practice, you can damage a person like this for the rest of their lives. And so I would urge that you don't do this to another person, and so on. You know, just had to say something. I was just shaking where I stood because I never imagined such a thing. So when we got out, my father said, you know, let's take it like that. And that was it. We didn't challenge anything. But you know what God put in me in that? After that, of course, God changed my life, gave me supernaturally a job that I was not applying for in 1994, just a couple of years after that, and everything about my life had a different trajectory till today by the grace of God. But what I'm trying to bring out of this is that that man did not know that he was standing in my way from something God did not want for me at that time. He thought he was just doing some evil, but he didn't know that he was preventing me from coming to a place that would not have allowed me to be exposed to where God wanted me to be. I've shared this story today because, you see, whatever you think is an obstacle in your life today, God is using it and packaging it to work together for your good. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. That happened almost 30 years ago. And very recently, I had a similar kind of thing. Just basically being stopped with very, very, very ridiculous, very, very ridiculous reasons. Things that don't hold water. But I remember that incident. And I said to myself, I said, Lord... You've done it before. You've shown me that man may think they are stopping something good, but you have always shown me that they will only work together for good. And so I put my trust in you. And so shall it be in our lives. Let's keep trusting God because what God wants to do is great and awesome in the name of Jesus. Final thing I want to say is problem solving. It's good to be humble. It's good to be diligent and skillful. It will announce you to your world. But you must seek to be a problem solver. This was one common denominator. All the people we studied in scripture, Joseph, 
Daniel, Moses, every one leader of significance, even Jesus Christ, were solving problems. The more problems we solve, you are, in, you are solving a problem now, that's why you have an income, that's why you have a salary, you are doing something. But you must understand that if you want to really break through and go to the next levels of promotion, you must seek to solve problems that are uncommon for people to solve. You must keep praying to God. However, which way God gives you the wisdom, he has put gifts in you that will make room for you so that you can understand. You will notice that I, I have not, I have talked very little about prayer and anointing and those things today because I know you know that aspect. And I'm not in any way saying that they are not important. But I'm telling you that prayer and anointing and all night and, you know, prophecy and those things have a place whereby they work on all these things I'm telling you. They help with all these things to, to come together. Joseph's situation was clear because his ultimate promotion came when he solved Pharaoh's problem. Genesis chapter 41, we read the story there very clearly. Verse 16, the Bible says, Joseph answered Pharaoh when Pharaoh did not know what his dream was about. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Verse 33 says, now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Somebody that will help us manage this thing. Somebody that will solve this problem. Let's go to verse 37 and read what the Bible says. Verse 37. Let's go together. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servant, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God? And we know the rest. He said, I'm going to promote you. Only in the throne I'll be bigger than you. You will have command over everything. Somebody say problem solving. When you are a problem solver, you automatically open the room for you to become a person that is a candidate for promotion. Either in your organization or by organizations outside, that outside the organization or people or business circles or important places that will be attracted to the problems you are solving. Sadly, many believers are problem generators in their workplace. I'm very sad to say this. They are problem generators. They are so spiritual that the physical things they need to know, they don't know it. And instead of solving the problem, they are creating more problems by praying over things they don't need to pray about, things they just need to solve. <laughs> They say, write this report for us, you know, and make sure that it's all tidied up. The person says, shaka parokuti kakaka. No research, nothing. Then he types some, some sloppy thing together and say, that is it. Shaka puka taka. And let it be accepted in Jesus' name. Receive. Receive. <laughs> and, you, and then, and then the, the whole organization is really in chaos because some super spiritual person is not living in the reality of the world. Let us understand that while we pray and do those things, we must hone in on our skills and let God help us. I say God will help us in Jesus' name. Our main theme was taken from the book of Daniel. We have read a lot of it, so I will just rephrase the stories. The Chaldeans said that it was impossible. What the, the king was asking for was impossible. In the physical, it is impossible. How can you dream? And then you come to me and say, tell me, <laughs> your, my dream, and I should tell you, ah, it, it, if you tell a dream, 
to interpret. Hey, that makes some sense. Even Joseph, that was what happened. The king told him the dream, then he interpreted. But this Nebuchadnezzar zone is different. He said, I won't tell you the dream. And you will tell me the dream, and you will tell me the interpretation. The magician said it's impossible. But you see, Luke 1, 37 tells us that for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And this is what I want us to understand. When we are people who are diligent at what we do, and we are humble in the sight of God, we draw grace for solving impossible tasks. We, solve, we draw grace for going into things that people dare to touch because God would help us. The word impossible does not exist in the life of an entrepreneur. You go and find out anybody, even that doesn't know anything about the faith, anybody who was able to push boundaries and get things done, never believed in impossible. You floor them, they get up again and try again. You floor them, they get up again and try again. But when it comes to believers, believers believe in impossibility more than others. We must not be such people. We should believe that we have a God of all possibilities. Franklin D. Roosevelt was my favorite, one of my favorite American presidents. The only president that ruled America for three terms. During the Second World War, there was a very horrible thing that happened at Pearl Harbor where Americans were, were killed suddenly by Japanese uh, soldiers and you know, by fighting uh, air, air, air pilots who were fighting them uh, at that time. And they destroyed a lot of them. Over 2,700 people died. I think it is the largest number before 9-11 on American soil. And it was a horrible thing. At this point, Franklin Roosevelt was weak in the limb, so he was on a wheelchair, the president. And so he called his cabinet, this was December the 7th, 1941. He called the cabinet together and he said to them, we need to find a solution for this, we have to respond. And the people said to him that there is no way to respond to this thing, in fact, that they have destroyed all our bases. And they gave all the reasons. These are the people in the cabinet, the ministerial cabinet of the president. And they said to him, in fact, it is impossible. When he heard the word impossible, he put his hand on the table. This was a man who could not walk, who could not stand by himself. Put his hand on the table and used the table to push himself up and stood on his two feet, stepped off the wheelchair, stood on his two feet. They wanted to rush him whether a president would fall. He said, stop. Stood on his two feet and did that. Standing by himself, you know, shaking, but standing by himself. He said, never again tell me anything is impossible. And then he slumped back down. <laughs> and he slumped back down. And that touched me. That touched me so much. Impossibility is only what we call it. If we trust God, what is looking like an impossibility today, God will make it possible for us. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, you can clap for Jesus Christ so that he can keep helping us through all impossibilities. So we know the rest of the story of Daniel. God helped him. He called his brethren. They prayed. I want every one of us to be in that kind of mode. When you hear something is impossible in your workplace and it affects your team, before everybody says, ah, this can never happen, this has never been done, don't join them immediately. Go and talk to God first. Go and talk to God first. If God gives you the idea, that might be your break. That might be your turning point. Let God do what only he can do in and through your life. The same way he did it in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego.
The final scripture I'd like to read is Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. It says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Verse 23, let's read together. Verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Read it again. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Then verse 24. Why? Let's read verse 24 together. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. It is God that will reward you, my, my dear brothers and sisters. He says, whatever you do, whether it's the work of the ministry, whether it is the work that you do vocationally, do it as unto the Lord, knowing that it is from him. Keep your diligence. Many of us are not motivated because we find demotivation in others. Never let that be, whether it's a church setting or in your vocational place. Never. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Know fully well that God is the one who is watching. Every day I come to this place and I come into my office. I was here last night and just praying and praying. And I've done that many. I, know I don't do it every Saturday night, but a lot of times I've come like that. And I'll just be praying and I'm praying. And when I'm praying, God will be showing me things about what he wants to do and all that. So many things. But, you know, I never see it as a task. I never see it as a chore that I'm doing it to fulfill all righteousness. I see it as a duty, knowing that the one who calls is the one who rewards. And that's not because I am pastor here by God's privilege, just because I am a person called to serve. And that's the same approach I have where I work right now, with the university I work for, with the clients I have in my consultancy practice. The same way I do every task, when I'm not sure, I ask for time. I ask like Daniel did. I say, Lord, give, I said, give me time. Let me, and I say, Lord, help me. Show me what to do in this matter. And God keeps coming through. I want you to understand this, friends. God is the one who will reward you. I say, God is the one who will reward you. God is the one who will promote you. Don't be confused by the seemingly difficult situations you are facing with people or systems today. Because the one who rewards is above and is above all. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet and appreciate you. Well,